This podcast is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is not an invitation to make an investment and should not be construed as advice. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of 91. The value of investments can fall as well as rise and losses may be made. In South Africa, 91 is an authorised financial services provider. As we speak, the RAND has gone to all-time record lows or is going to all-time record lows against a basket of currencies. This is now something that is, I think, a fallout from what happened last Friday and also a lot of other matters as well. Last Friday, Moody's downgraded us to junk status uh, following the peers' footsteps. And maybe some people would argue they were a little bit late in doing so. But whatever, that's all in the past. Let's have a look at it now that the dust has settled with Nazmira Muller, head of SA Investments at 91 in Cape Town. Nazmira kindly sent me a piece that says the following, can the downgrade catalyse reform? Obvious question, can it, Nazmira? Um, I think it has every potential to do that in due course. I think that's going to be the only way we climb out of the recession that we're about to um, I, I was going to say enter, but I suppose we entered the recession already. We were already in recession before um, the coronavirus or the COVID-19 pandemic hit us. And this recession is just going to be deepened immensely as a result of the virus and the lockdown that we're currently experiencing. Let's get down to cold hard facts. And as you say in your piece, as a result of the move that was announced on Friday evening, South Africa will no longer form part of the FTSE World Investment Grade Bond Index, the WGBI or the WIGB from the 1st of May 2020. Fortunately, there will be no rebalancing at the end of March, uh, which, is, uh, which was a couple of days ago. This should provide some time for the current market volatility to settle. Nazmira, let's have a look at what prompted the downgrade in the first place, because although we're over the years, we, we know what it has been, but just sort of contextualize it and put it in a nutshell, if you would. Why did they downgrade us? So Moody's has four components that they look at as part of any sovereign credit rating. The first is the growth outlook. Um, and on that metric, South Africa is still okay. Um, our growth is weak, but we don't have volatile growth. We haven't had significant contractions um, well, un- until um, this year, I suspect. And so that one, we still have an investment grade rating on that component. The second one is governance and institutions, where we know our free press, the strength of our reserve bank, treasury, um, judiciary, all contribute to an investment grade rating on that component. So there's been some slippage over the years due to the erosion of capability in the Zuma years, but it still looks fairly good. The third component is the underlying problem. The fiscal component has seen persistent deterioration over the course of the last decade, and now we rank four notches below investment grade on the fiscal side. So all of the um, excess public sector wage increases, the lack of growth, the lack of tax revenue collection through the Zuma years has all been bundled up into this fiscal component. The last component is susceptibility to event risk. And that one, we're still investment grade, because we've got large, deep domestic capital markets. However, we were downgraded one notch within that investment grade spectrum. And and what happens is in order to make up for that very weak fiscal component, we needed fairly high scores in everything else. And the factor that actually caused this downgrade is Moody's have now put a, put a 
um, slight downward adjustment on that susceptibility to event risk because they said that this coronavirus pandemic is going to put pressure on the local banking system. So even though that component is still investment grade, it's not high enough to offset the disaster that is the fiscal score. And that is why the overall rating, put it all together, we went, we, we were downgraded one notch. Yeah, the banking... Without the coronavirus mm. at this stage, we probably, I think they wouldn't have moved now. They would have waited a little bit longer to look. But unfortunately, it all came together at this point in time. Yes, and the downgrade of the banking system as well, no, not just by Moody's, but also by Fitch. And I think it was on Tuesday or Wednesday of this week has sort of brought the chickens home to roost. And I don't think they can downgrade the sovereign rating without downgrading the bank's rating as well. I mean, that's the way I understand it. But anyway, everything has been downgraded. We have to get back to the headline, which was, can the downgrade catalyze reform? And if you if you look back at other countries that have been downgraded, it has catalyzed reform, not so much in Brazil, not so much in Argentina, but certainly in countries like um, South Korea. Uh, so again, back to the headline. Can it catalyze reform, Nazmira? Well, I think it has the potential to, and there's some very um, obvious things. I wouldn't claim they're easy to do, but there's some very obvious things we need to be doing. And first up is controlling the public sector wage bill. So if we look at Brazil, um, which in, was downgraded in 2016, in February 2016, which was then in the middle of an emerging market sell-off, not the same quantum as we're currently seeing, but it was quite a large one at the time, um, the downgrade was actually the worst point for them in terms of capital markets. So in terms of bond yields, in terms of their CDS spreads, the, 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 both of those reached their worst points at or before the downgrade took place. And then they proceeded to rally over the course of the last four years. Brazil's local bond yields are now significantly lower than South Africa's, just to give you an idea of where they've ended up. And one of the reasons why is what Brazil has done is it's dealt with a lot of its fiscal issue by implementing pension fund reform. And South Africa's big fiscal issues are twofold. One is the public sector wage bill, which is just too large. It's too large, it's growing too fast. The second is ESCOM. If we can get a handle on those issues, and getting a handle on them doesn't mean public sector workers taking wage cuts, it just means no increases at the moment which given what is happening in the private sector at this point in time, I think is entirely reasonable. Yes, we heard during the last budget, I mean, which was only, uh, lest we forget, around about uh, six, seven weeks ago uh, from Tito Mbaweni, that the, the public sector wage bill was going to be addressed. So that has already been addressed. But if you go back to the Brazil example, which you just alluded to, can we learn from that? Uh, can we learn uh, lessons that will help us with the ESCOM and the public sector wage bill story? Or is it not quite as easy as saying, well, Brazil did this, we must do the same? There are some areas where we need to deal with the same factors they dealt with. They had a problem with political leadership, and over the course of the next several months following their downgrade, they removed Dilma Rousseff as president. I would argue we've already had the political change in South Africa with the removal of Jacob Zuma. They then stabilized their fiscal issues, which we've already discussed, which we, we now need to do. But beyond that, what Brazil haven't managed to do as yet is implement a growth plan. And that's what South Africa needs to do more than. We need to do more than Brazil has done. We need to implement a growth plan. And in order to do that, what we need to see is private sector um, provision of electricity going forward. We just need to open up 
the space to allow private sector generation of electricity at reasonable prices, at competitive prices, certainly at cheaper prices than Eskom is going to produce out of Madupi or Kusile. So much better prices and greener power. Um, we need to resolve whatever issues there are around visas. So when the world finally gets back to traveling, we can um, take advantage of that. And we need to do things like self-spectrum. I mean, the Minister of Telecommunications is busy saying they're going to do a temporary release, but I'm not sure how you do that. They just need to get on and just do it. Allow the telecommunication companies to use the higher band spectrum, improve the speed of data and connectivity in South Africa. I mean, you really realize it when you are working from home, how much slower our data is um, in many parts of the world. I've just been writing a few things down that you've just said in the last minute and a half. And one of the phrases was growth plan. I think I've heard that before. The uh, second one is open up electricity generation to the uh, the private sector. I think I've heard that one before as well. And this comes back to the, the catalyst uh, for maybe people getting shocked into making decisions. And that shock has come. Uh, the shock has come not only from the international markets and the international health crisis, but also from the, the downgrade. So maybe we, as we reach the bottom, and when I say the bottom, I'm looking at the rand against a basket of currencies, and we are at the bottom at the moment. We are at the very, very bottom, the worst it's ever been. So maybe now people will say, actually, now we do have to do something. Maybe this is a good thing, Nazmira. I would hope so, Lindsay. I would hope that the crisis provides the opportunity to do something. Um, because if we don't, we will be in a debt trap where we start borrowing to make interest payments. And it is not that far away. The only solution is to stabilize expenditure on the one side, but improve the growth outlook on the other and improve the productive growth outlook. One of your headlines in your, your piece you kindly sent me is, there is no need for exchange controls as South Africa is not facing massive pressure on its balance of payments at this point. And the key phrase there being at this point, it can't be that much longer the way that things are proliferating so quickly and things are deteriorating so quickly, not just in South Africa and other emerging markets, but also the world. We might get to that point quite soon. Well, Lizzie, exchange controls aren't going to do anything because the issue is, the local money that wanted to get offshore is gone. This is not a flight of local money you're seeing. What you are seeing is foreigners who've been holders of South African bonds selling. And that's due to global factors, but also due to concerns around our growth outlook. If we take a few steps in the right direction, our bond yields are so attractive in real terms at this point in time that that will go a long way to stabilize those outflows. That is the solution here. Implementing capital controls and locals is going to have no effect on that. There are two influences on us at the moment. Number one is the domestic influence, uh, which is in our own hands. Number two is the international influence, which is out of our hands. And notably at the moment, it's the coronavirus. And we've just seen today 6.648 million people filed for unemployment claims in the United States of America. That is a massive, massive number. And that has an effect on the local markets, on the international markets, and also in the future, the local economy. We can control one thing, we can't control the other. Are you happy that we might be able to control one thing, i.e. our domestic issues? I think we've done an amazing job so far in terms of dealing with COVID-19. So if we look at the number of infections that we have at this point in time, 
a lot of people rightfully look at the numbers and say, oh, it's because we're not testing enough. And that's probably true, but I don't think we're doing a worse job than the UK, for example. And one of the key measures I look at is the proportion of positive tests out of the total tests conducted. And South Africa is running at 3.5% or so. Yes. The UK is running at 20-25%, which means they have far narrower testing criteria and are likely to have a whole lot more people that they're not detecting than we do. So I think the numbers are going to rise, but so far it seems like we are doing a really good job at this. And that shows you what can do, what we can do when we have a singular focus and everybody rallies behind it. And we need to get a similar singular focus in terms of getting growth going. But unfortunately, once you start de- dealing with the growth issues in South Africa, everybody starts squabbling about what the right path is. And I think that we need the president to be similarly decisive in implementing a growth plan as he has been around implementing this lockdown. Nazmira, thanks so much for your insight. That's Nazmira Muller, Head of SA Investments at 91 in Cape Town.